Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. Um, I should probably introduce myself every now and then. I'm Jerry Watkins, and I've been doing this Torah class here for several years now. And just to kind of review where we are and what we've been doing, um, way back in Yeshua's time, the, they had already had this practice of dividing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, up into 54 portions. They call them parashot. A parashah is a portion, or parsha they sometimes call that. And uh, if, by dividing it into 54 parts, if you do one a week, you can go through the Torah in a year. And so um, that's typically the way it's done. We um, decided as a group that we would just go through. When you do that, you're moving along at a pretty fair clip. And a lot of times you get portions that you don't get to the end of because you run out of time. And so there's things that you kind of skip over or you rush through. So we decided what we would do is we'd just start and we'd go for an hour and a half. And then when we're hour and a half's over, we'll quit and we'll pick up where we left off. So that's what we're doing. So that's why we're not exactly uh, in sync with what they usually do or what they traditionally do. However, that being said, last week we finished Exodus. So we've been through Genesis and Exodus. <clears throat> I should also say that the, the custom or the methodology here is whenever you get through with Deuteronomy, at the end of Deuteronomy, you just pick up at Genesis 1-1 and go through the whole thing again. <clears throat> so most of the people here have been through this at least once or twice. I've been through it many times. And I used to think that was, well, I didn't used to, but at one time I thought that was a, a dumb thing to do because once you know it, you know it, right? But here it is. I'm, I'm going on 20 times I've been through this thing, and every time I go through it, I learn something new. So it's a, I'm a firm believer in going through it uh, every year, one way or the other. So anyway, last week we finished Exodus. At the end of Exodus, uh, they had completed the construction of the tabernacle, and they had everybody, <coughs> um, well, they set it up, and God came down and inhabited the tabernacle. His, his big cloud of pillar of fire came down and sat right on the tabernacle, and it was a pretty dramatic ending to the book. We had a little time left over last week, so we uh, just kind of did an overview of Leviticus. And there were some things about Leviticus. I know I'm repeating myself, but that's okay. Things about Leviticus that make it a unique book, and we talked about it a little bit. One was this picture here. Um, the, this picture is from a website that you can go look at, and I would invite you to do so. It's called The Bible Project, thebibleproject.com. There's um, a lot of... It's done by what my friend John calls the antinomial Christians, that is, you know, uh, they, they, there's, they're the New Testament kind of people, but boy, the stuff is really good, and it applies. 
You know, they're, they're Bible scholars without a doubt, and they've done a good job. And they, this picture, this diagram, is um, uh, an overview, a graphical overview, if you will, of the book of Leviticus. And we talked about how Leviticus is of a specific form. First of all, Leviticus sits right in the middle of the Torah. You've got Genesis and Exodus on one side, and you've got Numbers and Deuteronomy on the other. So um, there's a, a form, a structure that they often use in, in the biblical literature, if you will. They call it a chiasm. And they get the name chiasm from the Greek letter chi, which is essentially an X. And so that the, the idea is, is it starts... In a, at a broad way, and it focuses down to a point, and in the middle is the point, and then it continues on and broadens back out again. And we found out that Leviticus is the central point of the Torah, and Leviticus itself, the book itself, is also arranged in that kind of a, uh, a form. And if you look at it, um, the center is chapter 16 and 17, the Day of Atonement. I didn't ever know that. I, it took me, I mean, it's only recently that I figured that out, and I figured it out because of these guys. Um, but it's important whenever you think about it because uh, the Day of Atonement really is kind of the centerpiece of what God's plan is. We'll talk about that. Anyway, I got carried away. We're in Leviticus 1.1. And the way we typically do this, John has something. Yay, John has a question. I did not. That's a very good idea. Before we start, let me do that. Let me pray. Father God, thank you very much for meeting with us tonight. Thank you for your Torah. Thank you for this group of people that came out to uh, look at your Torah, to study your Torah. I'd ask that you would just uh, inhabit our conversation tonight and help us to learn a little bit more about who you are, uh, about why you do the things the way you do them, about what you require of us, about how much you love us. And we just uh, thank you in advance for the blessings that we know we're going to receive uh, for studying your Torah. In Yahushua's name, amen. Okay, thank you, John, for that. I always tend to forget something like that. I'm sorry. The way we typically do it is we read a portion, a small passage, and then we talk about it. I have um, books, if you're interested. I don't have any with me tonight, but there's a book for Leviticus, and the way it's done is it's done exactly the way we do it. Um, we read a little passage, and then we there's questions here. And you can work through here and you can answer the questions. And the questions are what we talk about. They're usually the, they're not necessarily questions that are, you know, real earth shattering. They're just something to make sure you understood what you just read, to make you think. So you'll, you'll see, you'll get the hang of it if, as we go through this. So with that in mind, uh, would somebody like to read Exodus chapter 1, um, chapter 1? It's only 17 verses. I found out something very interesting. Leviticus, not Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus, the chapters are short. So we'll probably cover a whole bunch of chapters tonight. That'll make you feel like we're really, really moving right along. So somebody want to volunteer to read Leviticus chapter 1. You've got to take the microphone because not only does it enable us to hear you better, the people online can hear too. Testing. Leviticus chapter 1, And the Lord called unto Moses and spoke unto him of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man among you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. 
If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntarily will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. <clears throat> and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all the altar to be a burnt sacrifice and an offering made by fire of a sweet savor to the Lord. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar, northward before the Lord. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. And he shall cut it into his pieces with his head and his fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inward the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar and the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes. And he shall cleave it with the wings thereof but shall not divide it asunder, and the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. This is, uh, oh, what can you say? There's a lot of stuff that we can look at here. I've got to, I feel obligated to at least point out that this, to me, this is always a little bit difficult because it's rather graphic, you know. And you read it, it sounds kind of repetitive, but it turns out there's, there's differences here, and we're going to look at it so we know all about what's going on here. And this is also very 
um, typical of what we're going to read for the next six chapters or more. Okay? But let's talk about it and go back to the very beginning of it here. Um, first of all, this portion, and as a matter of fact, the entire book of uh, Leviticus, the Hebrew name is Vayikra. And Vayikra, translated, means, and he called. And the reason it's named, and he called, is right there at the beginning. It says, uh, and verse 1 says, Yahweh called to Moses. So the he is God, Yahweh. Yahweh called, and he called. So all of the portions are done that way. Now the, the Greeks renamed it Leviticus. Leviticus is, uh, I guess it's Latin, and it means pertaining to Levi. So these, this whole book has got to do with Levi. I just wanted to do that. Um, then let me ask some questions here in a minute. First of all, uh, no, before I do that, one other thing. The word, your version said offering. Actually, your version had the word offering, and it also used the word sacrifice occasionally. Most of the time, most all English translations use either offering or sacrifice. Um, but it's kind of a shame, really, because the word, the Hebrew word is korban. It's transliterated as C-O-R-B-A-N, korban. Uh, that's one. Uh, it's uh, masculine, so if it was, I think, plural is korbano, korbanot. But anyway, korban has been translated as sacrifice or offering, but the Hebrew word really means to draw near. Okay, it's not, it's not got a necessarily a uh, connotation of sacrifice with it. It's, um, it's more associated with uh, being able to come near to God. It's, it's, this is God's method for uh, enabling you, us, as dirty, if you will, humans, to come near to Him. So um, the reason they think it's been translated as sacrifice and offering so often is because in ancient cultures, that's, what they, that's the way pagan worship was done. You had to sacrifice an animal in order to appease the gods. And this is, it's different here. God's not asking to be appeased, really. He just, uh, in order to come near Him, this is the method. This is what you have to do. So he talks in the, in the beginning there. Um, where does he say your, the first verse, the second verse there, where is he going to tell you about uh, these offerings? Where do they come from? They, yeah, either the herds or the flocks, right? So the herds are cows, bovine, and the flocks are sheep or goats. So you, you got to know that because then verse, you know, there's a, the next paragraph is all about the cow and the paragraph after that's all about the sheep and the goat. And if you don't, you know, you just need to kind of keep track because otherwise you feel like you're reading the same thing over and over again. Um, go ahead. I find, I find this extremely interesting because reading it along with the reading on it, The Levi, the, the priest is not the one killing the animal. Well, let's say, let, let's, let's, we talked about that a second ago. Let's read that and see what it says that exactly. He, let's say, it's, he is to lay his hand on the, this is verse 4. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before Yahweh, and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood, and on and on. So, it would appear, at least this translation, that you're right. That the, the guy that's bringing, the person that's right. bringing the sacrifice is the one that actually has to do the killing. 
Right, and he's the one that cuts it up. Uh, the, well, I mean, I, that, look, you could be right. I, I always thought it was the priest that did it. But Beg your pardon? I, I always thought it was the priest that was the one well, responsible I'm not, for I, that. Okay, you, you for feel the most that, of it. Okay, you feel that the, the text indicates that the guy does it, the, the offerer. The, 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 yes, well, that's what it I looks don't to have, me like. I don't have any problem with that. It certainly would indicate that. I just The only problem I have is that I'm not sure all the offers would be equipped to do that. But maybe they would. Maybe they would. Backing up, did yeah. you mean to indicate that the um, Israelites were following what the pagans did? No. No, I did not mean. Long? No, I, what I was doing was trying to explain why the translators might have ended up calling that offering or sacrifice as opposed to something that more nearly means what carbon means. Because carbon does not mean necessarily offering or sacrifice. It means to draw near. And it's a, it's a more, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. It means to draw near. It began with God's instruction back in between Cain and Abel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get there and talk about that for sure. Anything else? Anybody else? Want to have? John's got something. I wasn't going to bring this up, but you, since you brought up the word Vaikra, Yes. Which is the name of the book and the name of the portion, which is... Yes. Every book is named by the first Parsha of the book. Yep. I, in my notes here, Vayikra ends with an Aleph, and that's an enlarged... In the, in the scrolls, it's enlarged, and the next, le the word, next word is L, like Olive Lamed, and that's a shrunken Olive. Really? Yeah. So in the Torah scrolls, you'll see that that's a, a big aleph and a small right. lamed. Huh. It, it associated with the word vayikra. Uh, and also, you get, we're talking about offering and sacrifices. What is your, the King James, it says, in his offering, korban, or korbano, be a burnt sacrifice. The, both words are used here in English. What does yours say? It's ole is the other word. Which verse are you in? First part of three. If the offering is a burnt offering. Okay. From so the it uses offering twice. Yeah. Which, this is all good because no. it indicates that, that uh, there's some, some amount of struggle trying to get something that, that's consistent here. Yeah. So the Greek word for this offering, mm -hmm. or I don't know, some translations say sacrifice, the Greek word means gift. Gift. Yeah, and we know that this was a, a like a free will. This burnt offering is, is is like a, it's all burnt. It's all consumed, right? Yes. So it's it's a free will. It's, it's, it's voluntary. It's it's like a gift. Yes. Yeah. So okay. I think the the Greek really captures it pretty nice because it's it's a gift to the Lord. Okay, that does capture it nicer. I I just uh, maybe it was just me, but I just struggle with this idea of of sacrificing. And I mean, it's not that it's not a sacrifice. It's just that it. I wanted to get away from that concept of appeasing a god, you know. Yeah. Sure, that's a good point. Yep. So, whenever you get into the question of, well, the pagans do that, well, there's nothing new under the sun. They always pervert what already exists. Exactly. That's exactly. how I look at it. I agree. But I don't have any problem with, because Yeshua says, when you bring your cor your korban offering, right? Yep. I, I don't have any problem with that because it's it's like don't come to me empty-handed. Yeah. And 
if you're there, if you're asking for God to give you something, and you and it's it's contractual, which I yeah buy into. Yeah, you've got to bring it. It doesn't matter what it you know. It doesn't. It, it has to meet the requirement. Yeah. But if you're going to come and petition to me, don't come empty-handed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's fine. I, I think if you if we view it that way more consistently, well, this will make a little more sense. Right. Yeah, I agree. Instead of just well, I hope that he's going to do it. You know, I have this. Yeah. This pagan god, maybe he'll do it or something, like yeah, Moloch yeah. or something. Well, yeah, that's, that's the main thing I was kind of trying to, to guard against is because th the pagans, like you said, there's nothing new under the sun, and they're, they're going to mimic this, but they typically they have it from the viewpoint of, you know, you better appease the angry gods or terrible things are going to happen to you. Right. And I don't think God works that way. But here the instructions are given to you, and so the question is, you know, why don't you just follow these instructions? Yeah. So in contrast, in verse 4, it says, He shall lay his hand on the head of the, the gift that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. Of course, the word atonement is this uh, kapar or like... Uh, yeah, like the, the, yeah, kapoor, like this. The, the, the mercy seat on the ark is a, is a covering. Yeah. And so in the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's, to, it's to cover over, you know, something, uh, make atonement. The Greek word is, means to propitiate, to make atonement. What do those words mean? Because in contrast, I, I wanted to bring this up only because I'm studying it this week. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But yet, he calls these things a sin offering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, we must not be understanding what he's saying here in 10.4 because clearly it is doing that here in our reading. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, Otherwise, it's a big hoax, right? I mean... <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for that. I've always struggled with that. So if anybody has any thoughts, I'm willing to listen. Well, but in, until Jesus came, weren't the sins just basically covered? They weren't completely forgiven, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Covered, Kapoor, and atonement, covered is all the same thing. Um, I, I'll have to wrap my mind around the idea of uh, covered and forgiven and look at those if they're different. But that's, that's okay. I can buy that, yeah. Well, in taking that Hebrews portion, it seems to me that what is giving the approval the read, uh, getting rid of the sin is the obedience. Yes. So it isn't actually the blood of the goats that removes the sin. It's the obedience it's the to obedience. doing what he says. Well, that's a good point. That's, that's all that God does require of us is obedience, really. But obedience by following these instructions. Yeah, doing what he says. Okay. Let me go back to kind of the order in which we're looking at this. There's, um, I wanted to bring up the point about Korban, the drawing near. And this first paragraph, if you will, from verse 3 to verse 9 is about uh, a burnt offering from the herd. So it's a cow, all right? And the cow has to be a male without defect. Um, Marvin's point about uh, the fact that the giver, the offerer, excuse me, I guess it's me, that, am I the one that's... Okay, the offerer um, lays his hands on the head of the animal, 
And that's symbolic of transferring his sin to the animal, and then he kills the animal. And the blood is drained out, and the blood is spread around, and that's, that's what atones for, for his sin. Now, it could be that the offerer does this. Certainly this was an agricultural, agrarian, if you will, an agrarian society, and they probably all pretty much knew how to do that. I'd be hard-pressed. <laughs> I couldn't do it, but I'm sure if I'd grown up in that kind of an atmosphere, maybe I'd, I'd know how. But in any case, it, even if he didn't do it, putting his hands on the head, he, you know, I'm sure people explain to him why you're doing that, and he sees the animal die right there in front of him, so he's got to understand what's going on here, or at least I would hope so. Um, let's see, what else do I want to say? So, in this particular offering, how much of the animal was consumed? All of it. All of it. Okay. There are, turns out there are five of these offerings we're going to talk about. This is the first one, the first one mentioned, and it's uh, Corb, let's see, what do they call it? Corban Ola, I think. Uh, I had that just a minute ago and I forgot. Corban Ola, and that's the burnt offering. Um, see what else we need. The blood is spread around the altar of burnt offering. The altar of burnt offering, remember, is in front of the tent. Then the animal is uh, skinned and quartered. And he, notice it says he's washed. Aaron and his sons um, wash the, the legs and the entrails. And the whole thing is arranged, set on the, the wood. And, and burnt up. And there we have that wonderful phrase that we'll run into 15 times in this book. At the end of that, at verse 9, it is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to Yahweh. Yeah. Jerry, on 9, on my version, it says the offerer is to wash the entrails and legs with water. Then the priest will burn all of it on the altar. Really? Yeah. Well, good for you. Mine just says he. <laughs> no wonder you have the, the idea. I mean, like I say, I'm not arguing with you. Yep. What version? Yeah. Yep. What version is that? No, version. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't claim mine's, you know, particularly better. So... So the animal, what's the purpose of sprinkling the blood, do you suppose? And there's one obvious answer to that. The obvious answer to the sprinkling of the blood is proving that the animal's dead, right? Uh, by sprinkling the blood around all over everywhere, the, you know, you, you're, you're demonstrating, yes, this animal died. Uh, the reason I say that is because... Um, I've read about, and I don't know whether it's true, but I've read about, you know, some of, some of these practices, they wouldn't actually kill the animal. They'd, they'd cut it up, maim it, and use some of its blood, but the animal remained alive. Thought, well, that's horrible, and I'm sure God didn't want that. So that's, that's part of it. The other thing, of course, the blood being spread around is, uh, is just all part of this cleansing of sin whole thing that I don't really quite get yet either. Then let's move on to the next one. What's the next animal that's considered in terms of a burnt offering. 
Sheep or goats? Sheep or goats. And it's done essentially the same way. Um, okay? And it's, uh, you know, it's... So, so what, <laughs> what would be... Do you suppose the difference is? I, think I can ask this question later, but just for now. What do you suppose the difference is between offering a bull or offering a sheep or a goat? Why would you offer one and not the other? I beg your pardon? Okay, so I'll paraphrase. Uh, one is more valuable than the other. Yeah, the, the, the animal of most value is the bull. I mean, for lots of reasons. Bulls can do more. I mean, in terms of they can be a, a, a farm animal to pull a plow, and they're also quite a bit larger. So a bull is a more valuable. Yeah. Oh, what do you suppose he, he actually gives a direction for this one is on the north side of the slaughter place. Isn't that interesting? There's little details like that. I'm glad you guys catch those too, because um, I don't know what's so interesting about the north side. Now, let's describe again where, where this is happening. You know, the altar of burnt offering is uh, in front, right directly in front of the tabernacle tent, the tent of meeting, okay? But it's inside the courtyard. Now, there's a ramp going up one side uh, because, you know, God will... Uh, I think we read about it in Exodus. The last chapter or so of Exodus talks about don't build steps up to my altar, build a ramp. So there's a ramp up one side, and that's for the Levites to carry up the pieces and put on the fire. And then there's, uh, the, you remember, in the middle of it is this big grate. And so uh, ashes and stuff fall through the grate. So there's, there's uh, shovels and dust pans or whatever you want to call ash shovels or whatever to, to rake out the stuff and clean that out from time to time. Um, now that can be done on, obviously, uh, let's assume that the ramp is on either the north or the south side. Let's say it was on the south side, then any of those other three sides could be available to do the raking and the messing around. So I don't know. But anyway, so it says, what was on the north side? The blood. What are uh, you talking they about? slay it on the north side. They slayed it on the north side. Okay, so that'd be where a lot of the blood was, obviously. And then, what's the third animal type that's, uh, that is mentioned here? Um, a birds. bird offering of birds. You, I think you said fowl. And then it specifically says a young pigeon or a dove. Now, that's a much different animal to, uh, to do that to. How, did, how do they dispatch that one? Have you, oh, let's see. Has someone ever described how they actually kill the, the cow, the, the ram, or the goat? Don't they sever the jugular? Yeah, I, I've been told. I don't know this. I've been told they start at one side of the neck and go right around the front to the other side, making sure that they get both of the, the jugular veins. And, and they do it in one sweeping motion. That's what I've been told. And so the animal dies fairly quickly because the, the blood just pumps out almost to nothing flat. Backing up, um, you were asking about why sprinkle the blood. It says mm -hmm. here in Exodus 24, 8, Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Good it's point. Proof the covenant yeah, is between it, the yes, two. Yes. Now, that's, that's a very good point. Now, that, um, uh, the blood is obviously used on occasion 
for anointing, you know, for sealing the covenant, for whatever it is. Um, I don't know that that's all the time what its meaning is, although it sure could be, if nothing else, a memorial of that event, right? Um, but certainly, yeah, spreading the blood around, it's a blood covenant. That's the whole idea, right? Yeah. So how did you, how do they kill the bird? They wring his neck. Now, I'm, I don't understand this stuff. I'm a city slicker. So <laughs> when you wring a bird's neck, does the head come off? Does Probably it? Probably could. Okay, so they, they basically turn it until Snap. it comes off. I didn't know that. Well, it doesn't say they chop it. It says they wring it. And so, okay, you know that. See, I, I don't. Well, that's why I understand. I understand that people that do that, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then the, if the head's been removed, the blood will drain out pretty quickly, right? Um, and then it goes on to talk about it removes the crop with its contents, and that's thrown on the east side, for whatever reason, of the altar. Um, what's a crop? I, I'm asking because I don't know. <laughs> the crop? Is that the top of the head? I thought it had something to do with their digestive system. Okay. I think it's like the, his, his head, the feathers on his head. Okay. All right. Um, remove the crop with its contents and throw it on the east side of the altar where the ashes are. So that would imply that they clean the ashes out of the east side of the altar, although I don't know that. Then it says, I'm in verse 17, He shall tear it open by the wings, not severing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. It's a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to Yahweh. So, so what's the... Obviously, there's different technique involved in doing this, but what, who, who would offer the bird? Mike? What do you think? Who would offer the bird? Yeah. You mean as far as like uh, maybe somebody who just didn't have the, the money? Well, Are okay. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. But Marvin's got something. When I, when I was in Saudi Arabia, they did this. Did they? They did this. They sacrificed animals. And the different animals that we see here were sacrificed based on economic class yeah. because... Yeah. You might not be rich enough to have a bull or have an extra one, and so you would you would do a goat or a sheep. If you if you couldn't afford that, it, you would do a bird. Yeah. And so it, I think it's got to do with how rich the people are. I, I think it does too. As we're gonna have some uh, confirmation, uh, Mike. There's. Well, it seems in this case it is the priest who's doing the wringing of the neck. Oh, well, that's true. That's true. Ward's got something. I just wanted to help clarify what a crop is. Uh, it's a thin-walled, expanded portion of the elementary tract used for storage of food prior to digestion. Okay, so, so it's, down. It's, it's in there, it's in, there, in this throat somewhere. Right, part okay. of the digestive tract, just okay. before that. But it's, uh, I think it's the, the Put it bird. in a weird place if it's on top of his head. <laughs> That's right. The, it's the bird equivalent of the... Uh, well, of something, it's a digestive tract, and I, I gather that a lot of the, 
that that is the equivalent of, of the awful, as they call it, uh, on the other animals. It's the, you know, it's the, the not quite completely processed food. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not the farm boy, for sure. I was uh, interested in the, the door. In that, so if we back up and go back to the burnt sacrifices for the sure. herds. Yeah. And three, and also it shows up in verse five. Okay. That he shall offer it of his own voluntary uh, while at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before Yahweh. So I just think it's, you know, the association of the door and the blood next to the door. Ah. So I don't know Remind if it's a you connection. Passover? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. But it well, only talks about it with the herd that I can see. My, mine uses the word entrance anyway. So, but that's a good point. I think um, drawing a parallel with uh, Passover is probably appropriate. So anyway, this is one out of uh, five, I believe, um, types of offerings. And this is called the Korban Olah otherwise known as the burnt offering, and it is distinctive in that the animal is completely consumed by fire and that uh, it's voluntary, okay? This is not a required offering. This is a voluntary offering, but we'll find out that it's, uh, it's required if you want to draw near. <laughs> is yeah. it, uh, you say it's not required? It's, well, it's, it's voluntary. Voluntary, but... If you sin, this is what you do. No, well, there is an offering called the sin offering. Okay. This offering here makes just, atonement, and then and it is it's for all. I, I'm a little confused. For all practical purposes, it's required because you can't draw near without it. So, but let's let's go on, and maybe we'll get this kind of cleared up in our own brain as we move along a little bit more. Any other thoughts about that? Marvin's Mar Mar got something. I think basically it's um, based on the heart condition, you know, like... The, whether or not you want to do it. Whether you or not yeah. you want to do it. Yeah, know. it's uh, one of the purposes of it is to, is to indicate your uh, submission and um, willingness to do whatever it takes to get right with God. That, that's one of its, uh, its main things, is, to, is a sign of your desire to be obedient. I've got a better word for that than I over here. If I look, go ahead, Marvin. I really, I really, I really don't know how to ask the question. Good. I, I, I understand is to draw near, but how often would people do this? Well, I mean, you know, you've got all the feasts and everything and the holidays and, yeah. and certain times to do things, but this seems like this is over and above that. And would you do it once during your lifetime? Would you do it once no, a year? No, no, it's, you do it's, it, it's you know? well, you know, they have the, the morning and the evening offering. That's what this is. The morning and evening offering is, is a, an Ola offering. So it happens at least twice a day. Now, who gives that one? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Maybe, maybe it's the kind of a thing where it rotates around the congregation, you know, from week to week. Uh, I doubt that they would assign it. I guess... I'm making this up, but I guess optimally it would be based on the fact that people want to do it. You know, it's, uh, it's I'd like to do it this week. I'd like to offer the, the Ola offering for Tuesday morning or whatever. Mark. So you heard me speak, uh, I don't know if it was this last week or the week before, 
that when Yeshua was born at Bethlehem, the shepherds were attending sheep, but they weren't just any sheep uh, or any flock. They were special men, maybe Levitical men, attending the special uh, animals that were going to be used for that special offering, for the, the daily, morning yeah. and evening offering. Yeah. So that's where the animals came from. They were set aside specially, tended by special people yep. for that special morning and evening offering. Okay, that makes good sense. And, that's, and those, those sheep would become, let's see, the Levites that were taking care of those sheep would get them more or less, certainly, from the people that donated them or that offered them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a much better answer. Okay. Okay. So that just gets you, that, to me, this is just a kind of the, the beginning because we've got this, we now understand what an offering looks like and we know the details about the specific one of the Korban Olah. One other thing just hit me, because you were talking about these weren't required. It's, I mean, it clearly says in the beginning, I'm, I'm reading from the Septuagint translation, it says, speak to the sons of Israel. When a person of you brings a gift um, of livestock to the Lord, and then, of course, in the English it says, when any man brings an offering to the Lord. So this is just something given. So was was a... The Almighty, Yeshua's laying his life down. Was it a requirement? Yeah, I see what you're saying. So, so answer, he himself really was a gift. I mean, yes. he didn't have to do it. Uh, he did it to fulfill his promises and oath, but it's literally a gift like these are. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of parallelism here in, in what Yeshua, not only in his birth location to these animals, but also to this offering in him. Yeah. Well, let's say I think, you know, Ron kind of had a good point when he said it's, it's, it's a hard issue because if you don't have the right attitude about doing this, then you might as well not. You know, if, 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 if you're giving this grudgingly or if you're uh, doing it because you feel compelled to do it, um, I, God knows. <laughs> you know, it, it needs... Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I think, you, like I say, God's always been pretty good about um, judging you on the intent of your heart. You know, that's really what it boils down to. So these ought not to, if these ever become onerous, I think that's why he told, who was it, that one prophet that said, you know, your, uh, your bulls and sheep are... Uh, they, 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 I don't know what was the word. They're odious to me. I don't want them. Don't do this anymore. I don't like your offerings, you know. And it's because of the hard attitude with which they were given. So here it is. So Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Messiah Yeshua. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yes. It's funny that with the right heart, this is a fragrant, fragrance unto Yahweh, but when you don't have the right heart, it's, it's an, a bad smell. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> and you know this, uh, whenever you say, you don't have a right heart, the thing is, is that's, Dave said odious. 
odious, yeah. The, the, it's not only an individual thing, it's a corporate thing. Because you can imagine that certainly at some points in Israel's uh, life, if you will, as a nation, they were going through the motions and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't appreciate this at all. This was just a, a thing they had to do. It was like paying taxes, you know? And God, that's when God said, you know, I, I don't want that. That's not what this is for. If, the, if, you, if, you, you know, if you're doing this out of compulsion because you feel like you're, you're forced to, then you're, you're, not gonna get, you're not going to receive what they were intended for. for Israel and themselves, but they were sacrificing for the nations. Oh, yeah. So through Israel and the, and the Jews making their sacrifices, they also atoned for the, for the sins of all the nations around yeah. the world. You can, you can certainly draw that conclusion. I, I, it's in the Bible somewhere. I don't yeah. know where it's at. Yep. Okay. One of my favorite statements is moving right along. So let's go to chapter 2. <laughs> this was a good one because you kind of, now we're in the deep, we're not in the deep end, but now we're in the pool. Okay, we know what we're talking about. Chapter 2 is a totally different ball of wax. Um, somebody want to read chapter 2? It's not very long. All right, I'll read it. Okay. <clears throat> and when anyone brings a grain offering to Yahweh, his offering is to be a fine flour and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. And he shall bring it to the sons of Aaron, the priest, and he shall take from it his hand filled with fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a remembrance portion on the slaughter place, an offering made by fire, a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. And the rest of the grain is for Aaron and his sons, most set apart of the offerings to Yahweh by fire. And when you bring as an offering a grain offering baked in the oven, it is of unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened thin cakes anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering on the griddle, it is of fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. Divide it into bits and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering in a stewing pot, it is made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring to Yahweh the grain offering that is made of these and shall present it to the priest, and he shall bring it to the slaughter place. And the priest shall take from the grain offering a remembrance portion and burn it on the slaughter place, an offering made by fire, a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. And the rest of the grain offering is for Aaron and his sons, most set apart of the offerings to Yahweh made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to Yahweh is made with leaven, for you do not burn any leaven or any honey in an offering to Yahweh made by fire. Bring them to Yahweh as an offering of the first fruits, but they are not burned on the slaughter place for a free, sweet fragrance. And a season and season with salt every offering of your grain offering, and do not allow the salt of your covenant of your Elohim to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you bring salt. And if you bring a grain offering of your first fruits to Yahweh, bring for the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire, crushed heads of new grain. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. 
And the priest shall burn the remembrance portion from the crushed grain and from its head with all the frankincense and offering made by fire to Yahweh. Okay. So like I say, this is an entirely different thing. I think Mark's got something. So <clears throat> the first chapter is what Abel brought. And this one is what Cain brought, or should have brought. Or should have brought. Because it does say that it should be choice flour. Yes. Not just any flour. Just some. Yeah, choice got, flour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's was something missing in this offering. And the, the other interesting thing about this grain offering is there's no animal flesh here. No. And, it's, and it specifically then can't atone. Yeah. It's, and, not, it's not for atonement because there's no blood. And so... There's no there's no sacrifice here. It's just strictly a a grain offering. Yeah. Good point. No sacrifice, right? This is kind of like uh, you know your meal comes with the main course and, and a salad. This is <laughs> it's it's a uh, go ahead. Would it would it relate to like uh, maybe as part of your first fruits? You know, like your mm -hmm. it's it's not necessarily a sacrifice of blood, but mm -hmm. it, it is something that you are giving. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, based yep. on... I, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably... There's a lot of what goes on with God that, in my opinion, that involves us just thanking Him for sustenance. You know, thanking Him for the fact that we've got food to live on and, and things like that. And that's, uh, that's a lot of what this is, for sure. Marvin? I, I think it's interesting because it, it brings up the leaven and the, and the yeast, but it also, I didn't notice from reading this earlier... It talks about honey yeah. and, and salt. I, I never caught that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because this, uh, you know, I've got some thoughts on it and I don't have any idea whether they're right or not. Why wouldn't he want yeast in it? Doesn't yeast represent sin? Yeast represents sin. He doesn't want sinful things. I mean, he's uh, having, although it only represents sin, that's neat, you know, it's, he's pretty consistent about that. So not wanting to have that offered makes sense. Honey, what do you suppose honey might be? I, I've got a, a note on it, and I'm not sure I really like it. Honey may represent temptation. I don't know, and that's a stretch, but I read that somewhere. How about salt? The, this is not the first time we're going to run into the concept of a salt covenant or a covenant of salt. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that's a covenant. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Um, well, salt's interesting. It, you know, you're, you, it talks about your uh, your salt to the earth, or yeah. to the earth, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was just doing a study on that. And I kind of lost <laughs> what it was. But. The only one I can really identify with is it's a permanence. Salt is a is a preservative. Right. And so it kind of implies that's why you should have salt is because this covenant is a permanent covenant. It's, it needs to be preserved Maybe throughout it eternity. It could resemble like continuity, like it, yeah. it's, 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 you're, you're, it's the symbol of perpetuity. Like, yeah. Like it's not just a contract with this generation. It's all the generations yeah. strung together. That, that kind of makes sense to me anyway. Yeah. Um, so... I have a note. One of my questions was, so what, uh, what do you think the primary purpose of this offering was? 
And what I wrote down was, it's, it's uh, express thanksgiving for the sustenance of life as well as the bread of life, the Word of God. And then I made a special note, the, the lack of blood sacrifice meant it was not for atonement. Okay? So, Mark, you know what, I, it, it's, it's uh, interesting that you brought up, because I wanted to talk about too, the fact that um, Abel brought a blood sacrifice and Cain brought a grain sacrifice. And, uh, and, and not only were they different, because it says specifically that Abel brought the, uh, uh, the first firstlings, I don't remember exactly, but the, you know, the, the best of his animals. And it just says that uh, Cain brought some, some of the stuff that had grown, <laughs> some, of the, some of his produce. But I guess one of the things that I think is important to realize, of course, is that this thing then was in place for Cain and Abel. It was in place right at the beginning. This goes back to the, the, <clears throat> the, al the imagery of the door. Because what, what does he say to Cain? It says sin is crouching at the door. Right. And yeah. actually the word for sin is, is also, it can be translated as the, the, uh, the antidote to sin or the, the uh, I guess it may even be a sacrifice. I don't know what the okay. exact term is, but it's, it's sin, but it's the solution to the sin as well as in that same word. Okay. Oh, did it? Okay. Honey has a lot of different values, and one of them is it's a wound healing. Okay. And it's antibacterial, um, as well as the fact it can be a replacement for sugar, but, yeah. which is your temptation part. Yeah. But somewhere I heard that the honey is the only thing that, the only food that is not perishable. You can't spoil or oh really or it mm -hmm. it it can't be ruined uh -huh. with uh, deterioration or age. Yeah. Hmm. So in verse twelve it says, "As an offering of first fruits, this is reshit, which is beginning." So when is the grain at its beginning? It's in the, what, the early summer, right? It's Shavuot time. Yeah, Shavuot. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's what they're offering here is this grain offering is a big show, show, uh, Shavuot offering time. Could, it could be, yeah. What, but, you know, one of the things we're going to learn is that as, as when they describe these offerings, they have, um, they'll describe often um, a burnt offering along with its grain offering. So they typically do the grain offering with uh, a meat offering at the same time. Okay. Okay, want to go on? Look at, oh, I'm sorry, Margaret's got something. Got a. It's interesting that I guess you could bring this offering in different ways. Uh, the fine flour in verse 1, and then you have um, verse 4, bacon in the oven. And number 5, 
uh, in Grit. a pan. You get, well, you can griddle cakes, yeah. Right, mm -hmm. and then, <laughs> uh, and then seven in a frying pan. And yeah. it's interesting that which one uh, says it? It needs to be torn, and then uh, should bring it. Let's see. It'll come to me. Um, but the frankincense, I'm wondering why the frankincense is, is it like a, a, a seasoning of sorts or? I guess that's a good question. Frankincense is usually the, the, most, the most expensive uh, type of oil. Yeah. It has a lot of healing properties too. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody knows what, what that would be. The frankincense, okay. Is frankincense a spice or? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Well, you know, there's definitely much more that I don't know than that I do know about this. Let's move on. Uh, chapter 3. Oh, there was one last thing before we left that. <laughs> I get to do this. The, the memorial portion, the rem, you know, it's, uh, it talks about if you bring grain, um, well, let's see, verse, verse 2, take it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and the priest shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil together with the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, Okay. The memorial portion traditionally is three fingers, three fingers full. So you, if you got, if if your form of the grain offering was just fine flour, the priest would take three fingers full like that and burn it on the fire, and that's what's called the memorial portion. The remainder of the grain offering was given to Aaron and his sons, and they were to eat it because it was most holy. Okay, so it was not, it was not the grain offering was not totally consumed for what it's worth. But I, I felt like I needed to point that out because that's what it says. Is that part of their tithe? Yes. The, um, it, it, well, let's see. Say it was part of their tithe. Probably. Probably it was. They, um, they would tithe from their grain, you know, their flour. That's probably true. Yeah. And so the vast majority of it went to the Levites because, you know, a memorial portion is not a great deal. Yeah, 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 we're going to... I should have I gone back. <laughs> okay, I'm just trying to wrap my head around all of this. So, going back to Mark, Cain, and Abel, uh -huh. do you think, like, we go back to verse 1 with what you say, the uh, cover over mm -hmm. in the sin offering because Adam and Eve sin and they had to sacrifice the animals to cover their sin well the and then you go mm -hmm. back to the grain offering um kind of praise and worship yeah. and, and toil well, the, that certainly that could it? fit that could certainly fit i um i it has been pointed out to me before that uh, you know the um the it says right after god evicted 
Adam and Eve, you know, he clothed them, gave them animal skins to clothe themselves with. That right there had to be the first animal sacrifice, right? So um, what you're saying makes sense. Now, I hadn't thought about the grain offering part of that, but it could be. Again, I keep going back, and I don't mean, I mean, this kind of leads me in a funny path, but I keep going back to the, the, the draw near thing. You know, it's, um, it's God wants to fix this. And, and in order to fix it, because God's got this, this perfect sense of justice, certain things have to be paid for. Certain things have to be done. Uh, and, and this is his way of, of getting that. Yeah. yeah. So to the degree that that all fits. Does, does anyone know if this fine, I know, Mark, you mentioned that it's, uh, it's talking about choice. Is that in verse 1, if, if that is... Is that like the whole grain, or is this like sifted from the germ and the and the bran? Mm -hmm. The first, okay. Um, I found the torn in pieces here in, in six. If it's bacon in a pan, um, thou shalt. Put it in pieces and pour oil on it. Mm -hmm. Mine says crumble it and pour yeah. oil on it. Yeah. yeah, in other words, tear it up or and, and pour the oil on now it. Now, that's the one that was made as a... Uh, in the pan. You know, so it was like a, like a cookie. Like a big cookie, right. Yeah, okay. Like a big tack bread. Uh, frankincense is used as an essential oil, and it's, you, you only need a few drops. It's a very intense flavor. Yep. Three things have something in common. Frankincense, this oil, is antimicrobial to the bad bacteria for human health. Honey is antimicrobial to the bad bacteria for human health. And salt is antimicrobial yeah. to the bad bacteria okay. for human health. That's, good. That's a good catch. All three of those have that in common. Yeah. Let's move on to chapter 3. Um, somebody want to read chapter 3? It's, again, it's not too long. It's only 17 verses. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his, of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. If his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, 
its fat and the whole fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food and offering made by fire to the Lord. And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on his head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from its offering, from his offering, as an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. Great. That's great. So this is the third offering that we're looking at, and it's different. Your uh, translation consistently called it peace offering. It's sometimes called fellowship offering. Um, see, I've heard it. There's another term for it, too. Um, but it's, it's an animal offering, so there's a blood sacrifice associated with it. Uh, but it's much different, uh, and we'll talk about that. Go ahead. So I, two things I want to bring up is, you know, you've got to look kind of hard sometimes to, you know, because Yeshua is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And so to find sacrifices that were given here that only required a lamb, I mean, you've got to look pretty hard and good to find it. Well, this is one of them. Yep. So it says in verse 7, if he's going to offer a lamb for his offering, he shall offer it before the Lord. What's interesting is that the Septuagint calls it this. If his gift, which is the Septuagint's way of calling it you know, yep. an offering or a sacrifice, yep. if his gift is a sacrifice of deliverance and salvation. Wow. Yeah, no kidding. To That's the not Lord, in here. Yeah. is from the sheep, male or female, he shall present without blemish. If he brings a lamb as his gift, he shall bring it before the Lord. So the Septuagint calls this peace offering. Mm -hmm. It's a, an offering of deliverance and salvation. Now, I can't think of any other offering because it says that you sh you, that's what he represented was to, he brought peace. Yeah. Uh, because he removed the enmity that was against us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so here's the lamb, is, is one of the offerings you could bring is a lamb that's bringing salvation and deliverance. Okay. That's good. The, uh, what gets burnt? Of the animal. I mean, like I say, this it seems repetitive. Um, it's uh, let's see. It says, well, no, it's uh, it's let's see, it's it's fat. Yeah, okay, this is what's made to, to Yahweh by fire. I'm I'm in verse uh, nine. It's fat, the entire fat tail cut off close to the backbone, and all the fat that covers the inner parts or is connected to them, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the covering of the liver, which he will remove with the kidneys. 
Man, that's a lot of detail that I don't understand. But it's real clear that it's fat, right? It's basically fat. The fat is what gets removed. If you'll notice, or it's my observation, that there's a whole bunch of the animal that's not burned, right? Now, again, the fellowship offering, and again, in my opinion, is, is different than the others because it's, it's meant, I think it can be viewed as almost like sitting down and having a meal with God. This, you're at peace, and you're going to fellowship with Him. You don't do this one until you've taken care of your sin, until you've demonstrated your commitment by the burnt offering. But after that, then you can have fellowship. You can commune and have a meal with Him. And so um, a lot of the fellowship offering is consumed by Aaron and his sons, and I believe even the offerer and maybe guests of the offerer. But it's a, it's a, it's a celebratory thing. It's not a um, it's, it's more of a recognition that, okay, uh, you're now in a state that you're, you can be near me. That's my opinion. What do you think? So, well, I, and I like the fellowship term too, because if the Northern Kingdom wanted to have fellowship with God again, they needed to accept that offering. Yep. The one that's going to reestablish fellowship that brings salvation and deliverance, that brings peace. Mm -hmm. Because as Leviticus says, the issue, the core central there is impurity and death. It's got to be restored to purity and life. Yeah. And this fellowship offering of Yeshua is what does that. Yep. I think that's true. So um, I remember I got into this, this feeling this way whenever we lived in New Zealand. This is um, not really all that important, but I think I'll do it anyway. The, we were over there minding our own business, trying to make a living, and we needed to sell our house in the U.S. because we couldn't afford to stay there very long. And when the house sold, I was particularly thankful, you know, as you can well imagine. And so I had been reading this, and I decided I wanted to do something like this. So um, I invited a whole bunch of my friends, and we had a big hamburger cookout, and I told them why I was doing it. I said, this, this is, it's not right exactly, but it's my version of a, a fellowship offering, a peace offering, because I wanted to thank God for what he had done for me. I think in retrospect, it might not have been quite on base, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is I think if you view this one as, as different from the others, it's helpful because it really does, it's kind of like, it really, is, it really is the peace offering and the fellowship offering with God. Well, there's only two more left after this, and they're not that. So this is the, this is the one that kind of is the, the fun one. Yeah, and, and also, what's burning on the altar at this time? It's the middle one, yeah. What's burning on the altar? Fat. Okay, and what's that smell like? Barbecue. Smells like a great barbecue, right? So I just thought this has got to be a festive occasion, you know. Um, and God even calls it food here, right? Yep. So um, anyway, that's my opinion. We had a good time with that one. Yeah. Well, uh, Go ahead. what part of the animal are they eating? Are they eating like the kidneys and the liver? They no, just no, take no. the fat out? No, those get burned. Oh. But what they're eating then is the, you know, the legs and the shoulders, some of the ribs, I guess. I don't know. I'm not that, I'm not that good at yeah. There's, there's tons of meat on the animal that isn't being burnt. So I say tons. It a says lot. at the end, uh, you do not eat any fat or any blood. So like... I mean, if you're like me, you've had a big old steak with fat on it. Yeah. And well, okay. We can talk about that a little <laughs> bit. First of all, they, um, 
the blood is pretty much gone if they've drained the animal properly, right? Now, are there, is there some blood left in there? Probably. And a lot of it would be in the kidneys, for example, and they're not eating that, or the liver. Um, there's going to be some blood left, and there'll probably be some fat left, but the, most of the fat is described here in what they're burning. So I, I guess, in my opinion, maybe sometimes we go overboard with this trimming all the fat and doing all the messing around to make sure we don't have any fat. I, I agree, it says don't eat any fat and don't eat any blood. I don't think but it's healthy to eat that fat anyways. A big it? pardon? I don't think it's very healthy to eat that no, fat. No, I don't either. Gristle all all I'm trying to say is I, I think... I think the point is, is this, okay, heck, if nothing else, fat's not healthy. Who had a question? Margaret's got something. <laughs> I get myself in trouble up here pretty easy. I'm just going to talk about an example. Uh, here um, during Passover, we had, had some lamb, and it's pretty fatty stuff. Mm -hmm. Cooking it on a gas grill, which is fire, mm -hmm. um, but it has like a little covering and so you're not really, the flame isn't hitting the, the Directly, meat. Directly, yeah. It's the fat that's draining out that causes the fire. Good point. Yep. And, and I was really surprised because, gosh, you turn it and you get, you, yeah. get, you get a bunch of fire and smoke. Yep. And yep. Yep. <laughs> so really, it's, it's the fat that causes the fire that even cooks it even more. So. Yeah. yeah, so the fat really is pretty much being burned. I think this is a particular, I know at the end it just says fat in the blood in the generic sense. Yes. But in the other places, like here in verse 3, it's the fat that is upon the inwards. This is the part, all the, it's a specific, specific type of fat. Yeah. That's surrounding the kidneys and whatever. Yeah. So it isn't, you know, I've got a little bit of fat in, in, in the middle of the rump roast or something yeah. like that. Exactly. That's a different, that's a different, I think that's a different type of fat. It's not... I agree. Start talking about this. Yep, I, I agree with that. I mean, although I've seen, I mean, I know there's, a, I'm okay with people not agreeing with that, but I agree with that. Basically, that's what I was going to say, but mm -hmm. I was just thinking that the whole previous verses is specifically saying which kind of fat yeah. you don't eat. It's just concluding, remember what I said, don't eat the fat on this part, not yeah. just any fat, because... It's impossible to eat a piece of meat that doesn't have some fat wiggled through it. Yep. And he tells us we can eat meat. So yeah, yeah. we must realize that this is only talking about the fat on those. Well, and in general, all those, I mean, in general, I'll say this, and it's probably not exactly true, but the things that he's describing here are things we probably shouldn't be eating anyway. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. No, never drinking, drinking the blood is for sure a no-no. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, uh, let's see, how can I put it? I think he was making a comment, but do you want him to repeat the comment? Okay, well, I'd rather him repeat it because I could never do it justice. Well, the comment was that it was pretty much standing order in Israel. If you're eating, you know, you're fire roasting your meat, yeah. and, and you're not drinking the blood, and you're not eating the fat, yeah. you're cutting the fat out. Yep. And yep. then the fire roasting, like she said, takes care of any, any fat that's in between yeah. the meat. It, it, it's roasted out of it, and, it, and it's cooked yeah. down to an oil. Yep. And drip, drips, drips off. Yep. Thanks, John. Sometimes it's kind of hard to keep me on track. 
Can you use the salt to draw out the fat too when you're Well, processing? I'll tell you what else you can, I mean, I've heard of this. You can also use the salt to get out the blood. Yeah, I, I've heard of people doing that. You know, they, they take this to heart and they, they trim the fat down to the meat and then they use salt to get out all the blood. Don't they, uh, isn't that how they make jerky with, with, with salt? Could be. I don't recall. I salt it? Yep. Well, anyway, let's see, we still got 15 minutes. I don't know that we'll, there are two of them left. Let's do, we can do one more, I think. No, it's a long darn thing. We don't want to do that. <laughs> there are two of them left. There are, um, we, let's see, we've got the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fellowship or peace offering. The next one's the sin offering, and it turns out that it's not that hard, but it gets explained about 14 different ways because there's a different sin offering for different situations, different people and, and who we're looking at. Um, and then finally, there's the guilt offering, which, like I say, it's more than we can do in 15 minutes. But I wanted to talk about just for a second that kind of try to put these in some sort of a, an order so what they are. We'll, we'll go look at the sin and the guilt offering next week in detail. But... With those five, they, they happen this way. The, the first thing that has to happen is the sin offering. That's the one we haven't talked about yet. The sin offering needs to happen because before anything else, you've got to deal with the fact that you have, you know, your sin needs to be taken care of. Um, the next thing that happens is the burnt offering. The burnt offering is a sign of your commitment to God, the sign that, uh, you know, um, you're, well, it's, uh, this is pushing it a little bit, but it's kind of like repentance. It's basically saying, okay, I've paid for the sin, or the sin has been dealt with, let's say. I wouldn't say I've paid for it. The sin's been dealt with, and now I would like to reaffirm that I'm, I'm, I'm reaffirming my commitment to you. And then after that is the fellowship offering, okay? Let's see, I'm pretty sure that's right. Yep, sin, burnt offering, fellowship offering. And the the meat offerings all come with those grain offerings. Each one has a grain offering that goes along with it. Um, and so, basically, it's dealing with the sin, recommitting to God, and then enjoying fellowship with God. The guilt offering is only different than the sin offering in that it involves restitution. So, sin, there's different kinds of sin, obviously, but there's sin against God, or sin against, uh, you know, um, we're going to talk a lot about inadvertent sin and other things, that restitution is not demanded for. Restitution is demanded for sin against another person. You know, if a stealing is sheep or, you know, stuff like that. And, and then God's very strict and very precise about what restitution looks like. And so um, the sin offering goes along with the guilt offering if restitution is part of the, part of the situation. Now, that sounds complicated, I guess. In a way, given that when we started the uh, evening, we, didn't, we hadn't dealt with any of this. You come back on it, and you can kind of see some sort of structure here. You can kind of see that it kind of makes sense. And even though it's a strange, in my opinion, it's a kind of a strange beast. It's hard for me to get my mind around completely. It's, it's, not, it's not beyond us. We can, we can get this. Yeah. Can I go back to the beginning when we were talking about the book in, in a general sense? Okay. 
Um, it, it's called Leviticus, but really, more precisely, it's the priest. It's the, co it's the book for the Kohanim. Yes. I mean, I have the, Glenn McWilliams says about the book of Leviticus. The traditional rabbinic name of the third book of the Torah is Torah Kohanim. So I guess the Torah of the, the command, mm -hmm. the, the Torah for the, for the Kohan. Uh, instructions for the priest and instructions of or by the priest. So that's kind of interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wanted to say one other thing about this, too, and that is that the, um, uh, for a long time, for, you know, certainly most of my Christian life, uh, I believe these things have been done away with. You know, uh, Yeshua had died on the cross, and that was, that was what was required. We no longer needed to do this. Um, but that's not, that doesn't seem to be consistent with Scripture, because certainly Ezekiel spends numerous chapters telling us what this is going to look like in the new, the new Jerusalem, you know. And so um, I, don't, I don't believe anymore that these are going away. I think that they're going to be reinstituted. They're going to be reestablished. And while my, uh, you know, city slicker pansy uh, mind has a hard time with this, I'm gradually getting to understand that this is what, this is, this is God. This is what he, what he requires, and I need, to, uh, I need to do the best I can to understand it and to certainly get on board. <laughs> now, do you have any comments or any, any thoughts about what we're looking at here? Yeah. There's, oh, there's you first, but... Well, just the, the part about doing the sacrifice, the, you know, the actual... Uh, killing of the animal, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. If we had our own little farm and we had our own, <laughs> we're doing all that stuff, it might just become, I mean, I've kind of gotten used to it when we, we've done it. I've done it a few times with the, with the lamb. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I can seem to be, be able to separate myself from it. Yeah. But so I'm just, the point is, I think, you know, once you're on the, uh, once you're, you get used to doing these agricultural things, Mm -hmm. I would think it's going to become second nature. Well, I, I, I tell not. you what, one of the things that you said triggers me, and that is that that makes me want to uh, definitely be a part of a community. Because if you're a part of a community, then you can have people that are good at this and appreciate this, uh, which I'm probably not one. But I've got other things that I can contribute to the community that I am. You know, so that a lot of this stuff pushes me toward community. Yeah. Um, it never went away. It's still practiced in the Christian Middle East. Um, in, in where? The Christian Middle East? Yeah, it never okay. went away. Um, we still practice as Jewish or Christians. Mm -hmm. We still practice it. Well, okay. The, uh, it's not done. One of the things that did go away is the temple, right? Uh, this was supposed to be done at the temple, all right, where God dwelled. As a matter of fact, one of the things that he says in Deuteronomy, we'll get there, mm -hmm. is that the, uh, this, not exactly the same thing, but he <laughs> says, don't, uh, don't, whenever you slaughter an animal in the field for meat, okay, you can do that, but don't do that as a sacrifice. Do that as food. So the, the sacrifice, the, the drawing near, the korban offerings are supposed to occur at the place that he dwells so that we can enjoy fellowship with him. And that, I'm not totally disagreeing with you, but I'm saying that 
the, while there may be practiced, I don't know that it's exactly what's, what we're reading about. The one, that, one that's going to be reinstituted is going to be reinstituted in the temple that literally has been set aside and God's going to be dwelling there. That's the one, I'm, that's the one I think this is, or Ezekiel is referring to. I hope that's all right. <laughs> no, it is, but what I'm trying to say that we do practice this on a yeah. daily basis. In a, it's just not practiced here in America, but it is practiced. Okay. Well, I certainly agree with that because I've, I've seen it happen. Yep. Well, when they uh, supposedly build this new temple, aren't, aren't, they, aren't we looking for the sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Would it, does well, it say in Daniel that when the sacrifice yeah. is stopped to, yep. that uh, that's the sign that yep. we're looking for? Theoretically, the morning and evening sacrifice will be reinstituted, and what we're looking for is when that stops. Yeah, that's what, yeah. So the relationship to Yeshua... If you're coming at it from the house of Israel point of view, okay, right? Before the sacrifice of Yeshua, the house of Israel couldn't draw near. They can't get past even the middle wall of partition, as it talks about in Acts. Yep. You don't have the authority. You're trespassing to bring your korban up. Yeshua says, talks about bringing the korban up. You have, if you have ought with your brother, or your brother mm -hmm. has ought with you, however yep. it says, you know. So he's not. The, the bill of divorce, which we talk about a lot in, this, in our congregation, is, was the impediment that's kept us from doing all of the Torah. And this is part of the Torah. It's yep. doing the second. We don't have the altar service yet. And it's interesting how they, they were talking about how in, Christ, in uh, mm -hmm. some Christian circles they're doing that. Yeah. So the question is, do you have the authority to do that? And I would say yes, because if, you, if I'm from the house of Israel, I have overcome that divorce by the blood of Yeshua to allow me to do the Torah in full. That's a very good point. Yep. Yep. Now, didn't Yeshua take up the priesthood for us? Well, so no. Is there is there a legitimate priesthood anymore? I'm I mean, I believe that the blood sacrifice he made is it. Okay. Everything else was a foreshadow for that final event. Well, certainly the bloodshed or the sacrifice, yeah. The, because now we can approach boldly. Yeah. Right? And not have to worry about that sacrifice because he has already paid it one time. We are now in a position, like John says, where we can, uh, we can go legally to God. Right. Okay. Um, this, I don't think we can practice this until the temple is re, you know, rebuilt. But I think we can, I think we are, in essence, priests. We're priests. He was a priest after, high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Yeah, he's the high priest. Yeah. There's and, and, yeah, the family and we're, priesthood. we're the priesthood of believers. Right. Uh, and we now have the legal right to come near. But how this is going to look with respect to the, the physical um, offerings that we're looking at here, I don't know. I mean, it, yeah, right. yeah. It says in Ezekiel that it's going to happen. You know, that we'll see it. Right. So. And then, you know, if you believe in what Ron Wyatt, I don't mm -hmm. know if you heard of Ron Wyatt. Yeah, I know Wyatt, who he is, yeah. And, and that the, the actual ark was underneath and is buried underneath where Jesus was crucified mm -hmm. and the blood actually ran onto the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. So. Well, 
That, that could be. I, I believe it, I mean, faith-wise. Yep, that could be. I, don't, I wouldn't have a hard time. I would have a hard time arguing against it. Because I think everything, you know, everything everybody did all the way up to his sacrifice was, you know, just to show the story, you know. Well, certainly all the, the, the feasts, for example, uh, a lot of what was, what was God, a lot of what God's asked them to do foreshadowed the coming of Messiah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, all the way from the beginning, Abraham yep, yep, yep. about but, to sacrifice his son. Yep. But I don't, I don't think we're done yet. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we might be priests, but we're in training. So we're not doing things, we're not all doing things according to yes. the instructions. I think we might know part of the instructions, and we don't really know everything. Yeah. Not only that, I think we're just, just in our society, just culturally, um, like she said, you know, in, in, her, in her cultures, they're, they're still doing the slaughtering. Uh-huh. They're, they still raise the goats. It, it, it's awesome to see a little a herd of goats when you first see the lambing and they're born. It's just awesome to see that. And then you, you start thinking, well, a year later, you know, of a year old, how big does a, does a sheep have to be or a goat have to be? It's not a little tiny mm -hmm. lamb. It's almost full grown. Yeah. So there's things that we don't understand because we're not doing the agricultural yeah, we're not planting here, the, yep. the grain here, here. waiting for the rain to fall we're not harvesting we're not looking at it i know we did a study i i did a study with a, a, some other brethren that uh we were looking at the barley and we had no idea we were all excited it was in heads and it was in head where okay it comes down to parching it the heads were empty and so <laughs> There's, there's a lot of stuff to learn unless you're growing. Yeah, yeah. Like John says, you know, in an agricultural community where you're yeah. doing the stuff. Yeah. I think so we're, yeah, well, we're one, in training. Yeah, we need training. I, I, I like that. And one of the things that I, I really try hard to do is it's not like I have all the answers. We're, we're learning this together, you know. And I think God appreciates the fact that we want to learn it. And we'll, we'll learn it, you know, in his timing, yeah. Perhaps it's like, since in, or let's see, in chapter 3, verse 17, it said this is to be a perpetual thing. Yes. So was the Sabbath. But they didn't celebrate the Sabbath for 70 years, so they had to go into captivity yeah. in punishment for it. Perhaps we'll find someday that since we're not sacrificing as he instructed, we'll get the consequences. But I'm also realizing that what he has said that Yeshua has made the sacrifice for sin doesn't mean we can't sacrifice with praise and mm -hmm. gifts and so forth because mm -hmm. there's all of those. Yeah, and things. we can, and to draw near. Yes, it's the, uh, yeah, yeah. It's time to quit. Or did you have something you want to say? Well, you don't have to be too quick, but. I'm going to use an example the Greek church in okay. America, if you go there, you will see how they worship by the Bible, uh -huh. how they sacrifice, how they give gifts. It's exactly by the book. Mm -hmm. We do, do, like I said, some of the things, we have to do it on a daily basis. Yeah. 
yeah. um, the kind of food, everything represents the honey, eating the honey, not just for health issues, but it's also a good promise between us and the God, the mm -hmm. good God, mm -hmm. uh, for the good promises, for the good health, the good life on earth. So if you just want to take an example, there's a lot of Christians, like just one example, the Greek church, mm -hmm. they practice by the book. Yeah. Well, so, doing things by the scripture, <laughs> by yeah. scripture, that's nothing wrong yeah. with that. So there are places you can visit and see and kind of give you an idea that uh -huh. this is, you know, that book was written for a lifetime, not for a century or a culture. That's true. So, that's true. and, but there's, as she said, there's a lot of culture issues here. Yes. And that's why a lot of the people come from the Holy Land like us. It's a culture, and we feel like there's not a complete understanding of Yeshua. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that's true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to quit before I get any deeper. It just got interesting. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me pray. Father God, thank you very much for the evening. Thank you for these questions. Thank you for the unknowns. I, I, I feel a little uncomfortable often because I don't know uh, I don't know exactly how all this is supposed to work, but I know that you want us to know, and I know that you value the fact that we're uh, sincerely seeking to understand your word and to do your word. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for this group of people that's trying to uh, understand exactly how we should relate to you and the things we should do. And I ask that you just help us to uh, cogitate on these things as we go through the week and keep us safe until we meet together again. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank, thank you all, and we'll do it again next week.